Good morning, BCC. Shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I stand here this morning to exalt the name of God Most High and to speak of something I cannot really actually grasp, the glory of God. As Job said, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me that I did not know. And I have hesitated to stand here this morning before the Lord and speak of this. But by His grace, I do stand and will speak. I sometimes look up into the night sky, as no doubt you also do, looking at the stars and trying to grasp who God is and how powerful He is. And it absolutely blows me away. How big is this universe that our God has made? Now we know that a light year is how far light can travel in one year, which apparently is 5.88 trillion miles. That's further than I travel to work every day. And perhaps the same is true for you. Did you know that the most distant individual star visible to the unaided eye is a little over 4,000 light years away. That's 4,000 times 5.88 trillion. And I'm not a mathematician and I'm not going to go there. But that star is in the constellation Cassiopeia, apparently. And it appears to us as a fairly faint star. But apparently... It's actually a supergiant star that's over 100,000 times more luminous than our sun. The Milky Way galaxy in which we live is 100,000 light years across. That's 100,000 times 5.88 trillion. And again, I'm not going there. And it contains at least 200 billion stars. In the observable universe, apparently, there are at least one billion trillion stars. I hope we're getting the picture by now. In his book, The Creator and the Cosmos, Christian cosmologist and astrophysicist Hugh Ross writes that the universe's fine-tuning is 10 to the 43rd times, I think that means a lot, more exquisite than one billion pencils all simultaneously positioned upright on their sharpened points 
on a smooth glass surface with no support. This one's not sharp. I didn't want to wound myself uh, this morning. But I'll say it again. The universe's fine-tuning is 10 to the 43rd times more exquisite than a billion pencils all simultaneously positioned upright on their sharpened points on a smooth glass surface with no support. In other words, the design of the universe is perfect, fine-tuned, and absolutely no accident. How big is God, the God who made all of this? Let's come back down to earth. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. But I'm not going to preach from this passage this morning. I want to rewind from the Great Commission back through Matthew, through the parables of Jesus, back through the Sermon on the Mount, back through the birth of Jesus Christ, back through that blank, mysterious white page between the Old and New Testaments, all the way back to Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament. Now we may be thinking, Malachi, what does that have to do with missions? Let's recap briefly on some Old Testament history. God established Abraham, descendant of, Ab- of Adam, and his descendants and his chosen, as his chosen people to be a blessing to the nations and reveal his glory to the world through them. And God established them just as he promised. Jacob, grandson of Abraham and his family, descend to live in Egypt just as God promised. After 400 years of slavery, God delivered the people from slavery through Moses just as he promised. After 40 years of their disobedient wandering through the wilderness, God gave the promised land of Canaan, Israel, into their hands where they settled just as he promised. All is well. But after a while they turned from God in a cycle of sin and judgment for that sin, repenting of that sin and being delivered from their oppressors and on through the same cycle. Then they asked for a king and God gave them a king. But later on, one of their kings, Solomon, because of his sin, the kingdom ends up being split in two to the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And due to the idolatry and sin of God's people, Israel, the northern kingdom and their kings in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was taken into exile in Assyria, never to return. In 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, sacks Jerusalem and takes thousands from the southern kingdom of Judah into exile, also because 
of their idolatry and also the sin of their kings. And after 70 years, God fulfills his promise and brings back tens of thousands of them from exile. But the land that he brings them back to is now a much smaller piece of land than what it was in the glory days of David and Solomon. They have no human king of their own, but are ruled over by a foreign power, the Persian Empire. Then through Haggai and Zechariah, God promises his blessing, the nations coming to him, prosperity, peace, and the return of God's presence. But the Jews saw nothing but hardship and apparently to them unfulfilled promises. They were so afraid of becoming idolaters again and bowing down to worship idols that they became very legalistic and the life was lost from their relationship with God. And then God sends Malachi. What is it that God wanted to say to them at the end of the Old Testament era and what does he want to say to us today? Malachi means my messenger. So we're not exactly sure who Malachi was. It wasn't actually his name. But he identified himself as a messenger of God. And there's a very unique style uh, of the dialogue of the text in Malachi where we see a dialogue between God and his people where God says, I say this, but you say this. And I did this, but you did this. And there's so much of God's speech in Malachi. So let's read now chapter 1 from the book of Malachi. I'll be reading from the ESV, but please feel free to follow along in your own version, your own translation, uh, and so on. Let's read from Malachi chapter 1, the last book in the Old Testament. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how? Have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry Forever, Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favour? says the Lord of hosts. 
And now entreat the favour of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favour to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now we don't have time by any means to go through everything in this incredible chapter this morning, but there are a few points that I would like to bring out. First of all, from verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Oftentimes we read the Bible as if, oh, the Lord said this, God said that, without really meditating on who is speaking. I've tried to give a picture this morning of the magnitude, the power, the glory of our God and who it is who is speaking here in this verse. I have loved you, says the Lord, the creator of time itself, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the magnificent, majestic one. I have loved you, says the Lord. By this point, God has already gone through hundreds and even more than hundreds of years of history with Israel. And we have seen how he kept his promises and how he led them. And yet this is their attitude. How have you loved us? How God's people can be blind. Taking his glory and his love for granted. This is what Israel was guilty of. I wonder whether you and I are guilty of that. I know I am. Perhaps you may reflect as well. Multiple times in my life I have complained to God and said, how have you loved me? Where is your love? You've done all of this, I know, but this one thing over here I've been praying for, you haven't done it when I asked you to, in the way I asked you to, so where is your love? And I've lost sight of who God is and what he has done and his timing. I have loved you, says the Lord. And then we see the contrast with the judgment that has come on Esau and will come on Esau because they've turned away from God. 
And in verse 5 it says, Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You see, Israel was God's chosen people. And one of the dangers of being the chosen people is that you think you are the only people. We're it. Whereas God always intended that Abraham be blessed to be a blessing. And so the danger is that we no longer think of the other people, but only within a box. And God says, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. This would have been shocking for the Jews to hear. And this, in this day and age too, God is doing a work outside of our box, outside of our comfort zone and beyond what we can imagine. He is to be praised in faraway places that we've never even heard of or conceived of. In chapter 2, verse 2 of Malachi, it says this, God says to the priests, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honour to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honour to my name. They had not taken it to heart to give honour to God's name, but he will get honour anyway. God is working in ways and places that we've never even heard of and imagined. I wonder if you've ever received a verse or a word from the Lord suggesting or leading you to go to somewhere outside of your comfort zone and do something outside of your comfort zone and like me, maybe you thought, ah, oh, get behind me, Satan. This God would never ask me to do that, to go there, to talk to that person. That can't be God. Oh, yes, he would ask us to do that. In verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, A son honours his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honour? And if I am a master... Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. Why does God ask like this, where is my honour? The clear implication is, you, my people, have not honoured me. You have not feared me. And as we read on through those verses, we see very clearly this picture of how God's people have reverted to giving trash to God and doing lip service to his will. Well, I promised I'd sacrifice this, uh, an animal, okay? Let me find the most rubbish one that's going to die soon anyway. I'll give that to God and I'll keep the best for myself. I'll give to God the worst I have and keep the best for me. I wonder if we have ever done that. God's name is worthy of fame and glory. In fact, God is passionate about his glory and his name. Much more than we can understand, much more than we realize, and certainly much more than we are passionate for his name. If you notice, there is a repetition in this chapter that he is great Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. Why does he have to repeat it again 
and again because they don't get it. They have wandered and they have forgotten. Just as if you have a young child, you warn them, don't go near the road, don't play in the road, don't go over there, don't go... Why? Because we want to bore our children? No. Because it's of fundamental importance. And here we see God repeating this, that his name is great among the nations. This is fundamentally important. And God is passionate about his glory, irrespective of where the man is or not. And glorified he will be. Israel fell short of their calling to be priests unto the world and preaching his glory to the nations. But God always had the ultimate plan by which he would get glory, mercifully, lovingly, sacrificially providing a way of salvation in his grace to the nations. He has raised up the church for this express purpose. What is the greatest undertaking in human history? It's not the establishment of the United Nations, and it's certainly not, sorry to say the word again, Brexit. It's missions. It's the fulfilling of the Great Commission. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Priests to proclaim his excellencies, which brings us to the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is described this way in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And after expounding on the gospel in the book of Romans, Paul breaks out into praise at what God has done and is doing. Oh, he says, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that this Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the 
universe by the word of his power. In 1648, which was a few years before I was born, the Westminster Catechism was written, which starts off with this question, what is the chief end of man? Why does humanity exist? And the answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mankind exists to bring glory to God and to show the world how glorious, how majestic, how faithful, how loving, how wonderful, how powerful he is. And to be living proof of the weightiness of God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It says up here, his name in high honour. And that's not up here because they ran out of ideas for what murals to put on the wall. It's here because that is why the church exists. What does the glory of God have to do with missions? Rather, the question should be, what does missions have to do with the glory of God? Why do we live? Why do we breathe? Why do we get up in the morning? Why do we get married and raise children and go to work and study and everything else we do? It's all for the glory of God. It's all to show the world how incredible God is. In James chapter 4, James says, What is your life? And it talks about how we are like a mist and a vapour that's here today and gone tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, time flies. Seize the day. What is God calling you and I as BCC to do next for the glory of his name? Praise God for more than a hundred years of history. Praise God for everything that he has done in the past. His great wonders. But what does he want to do now? Is it enough for us just to come down here to Ryder Street every morning on Sunday morning and enjoy the fellowship and hear challenging preaching, not to mention the nice lights and the comfortable seats? We can even access the podcasts as well. Do we really understand how blessed we are? How much freedom we have? We don't have to sing hymns in whispers afraid that the police are going to crash in through the door and slam us in prison and torture us. We have everything on a plate and yet sometimes we give God a blind animal or two. Malachi chapter 1 Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That is why Jesus came, to redeem a people for the glory of God. And that is the basis on which he said those words in Matthew 28 that we read earlier. But there are still people groups 
whole ethnic groups around this world and even people here in Leeds who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, who have no Bible in their language and where the name of God is not yet great. There are Christians who are being arrested, tortured, killed for their faith when for us perhaps the cost of coming to church is just the petrol we burn or our bus fare that we spend on our way here. Brothers and sisters, what is God calling us to do at this time? It's not somebody else's commission. It's not somebody else's job. It's not the missions team, mission team's job. It is our, the whole church's responsibility and calling. And there is no greater calling. There are so many opportunities represented here this morning. We've got a lot of stands uh, and information at the back. And I encourage us all to have open hearts this morning to ask God, what more is it that you want me to do to glorify your name? How can I give more of myself to honor and glorify your name during my brief life in this world? We're all called to be involved in fulfilling the Great Commission among the nations in one way or another, whether going or giving or praying or in other ways. Because it is our Father's mission. Mission is what the church and is what this church exists for, to preach the gospel so that the nations will glorify God because he is the Great King. John Piper has said, missions exist because worship doesn't. It is very true. It's not about what we can or can't do, because if, if it's about that, then there isn't much hope at all. It's never been about what we can or can't do. But it's firstly about what he deserves, and about what he can, and what he will do. So let's step forward with faith and obedience and ask God, Lord, here we are, send us. Let's pray. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Lord, we confess that there are many times we have just brought you a blind animal. We have brought to you less than our best and certainly less than you deserve. O oh Lord, would you forgive us for this sin? We thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us very clearly how glorious, how powerful, how majestic you are and how much you deserve to be honoured. Father, as we move forward into the new phase of missions as BCC, Lord, would you guide us as a church and would you guide each and every one of us to show us what you want us to do, Lord God, that we may live, that your name be glorified forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.